ready to go? You can pick a new song. Let's just keep doing this all night. No? Are you ready to go? <laughs> yes. Welcome to Prefer Not To, a weekly sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Josh and Kate. As always, I am not Kate. I'm not Josh. Every week, Kate and I sample a cocktail. We talk about its history. We try to render some kind of verdict on it, inexpert as our opinions are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we move on to talking about some movies and TV and such that we saw that week. Mm-hmm. You excited, Kate? I am. Why are you so excited? Because I really like this cocktail. Yeah, you also had a good week. I It's been okay. Yeah, okay. So what are we drinking this week? We are having the Bronx cocktail. I'm not sure what that be Bronx's or... Bronx... Bronx... Bronx yeah, cocktails. Know. Let's just do yes. that. Yeah. Bronx cocktails. Yes. I think that's. So before we delve into the Bronx, yes. we have our standard disclaimers. Disclaimer one neither Kate nor I is a cocktail expert, so we will probably mess up your favorite drink at some point while we are doing the show. <laughs> Please do not take it personally. We are learning, and we invite you to accompany us on this adventure of discovering. <laughs> and if we do manage to mess up one of your favorite drinks, let us know and tell us how to do it right, and we'll do it again. Or if you have any suggestions for us. Yeah. We loved suggestions. Second of all, alcoholism is a serious condition, like delusional parasitosis or Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Each of those would require the treatment of a professional, and so does alcoholism. You don't need a drink to enjoy our show. In fact, it probably won't help. Um, I'm familiar with Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, but can you delusional par? What was that? Delusional parasitosis. It's what? a uh, psychological condition in mm-hmm. which you believe that bugs are crawling all over your skin. I like that movie we saw. Bug. Yeah, the William Friedkin movie. Yeah. With, uh, who was that, Ashley Judd? And Michael Shannon. And Michael Shannon and, and Harry, someone else. Harry Connick Jr., I think. Was Harry Connick Jr.? I think he was like her boyfriend who she, you know, and then she started. I remember is that everything in that movie was blue and then green. everything in that movie was covered with uh, foil. Yes. You know, I had Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. I know you. Yeah, you've told me. What age? What, how old were you? I was 18 months old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's tough. It's uh. Why weren't your parents inspecting you for ticks? Well, they never saw the tick. Maybe it was a delusional tick. Wait. Maybe I caught Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever from delusional parasitosis about well, a tick. Well, if we're going to be technical, is it bugs or just just bugs? Not it's just broadly insects, speaking bugs. Because ticks are technically arachnids. Are they? Are you sure? They are indeed. Okay. Uh, no, I had it. It's um, spread by the Rickettsia rickettsii uh, bacterium, which is barely a bacterium. Uh, for the longest time, they didn't know what form of life it was until they had scanning electron microscopes because it's really small and it goes in and messes with your scalp. You know, it's named for a guy from uh, my alma mater who uh, went out to Montana when Rocky Mountain Spot, I think it was Montana, maybe Idaho, when Rocky Mountain Spotted Viewer was rampant. Uh, in the, I think, 19 teens or something. <laughs> and it was, I'm talking like 80 to 90% mortality rate. Yeah. His name was uh, Howard Ricketts, which is what they named the bacillus after, Ricketts. Oh. And uh, yeah, he also was, um, so he identified it, and that's how we have the treatment for it, the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Do we have a vaccine? No, we don't have a vaccine. Mm-mm. No. Uh, and he also, he died uh, researching the typhus bacillus, which is related. Uh, oh, really? I didn't know and, that. Well, he did a lot of, and this was common back then, uh, inoculating themselves with, uh, like Walter Reed, I think, and some of, when they were doing yellow fever, they did that. So he gave his life for science, man. Um, how does it present itself to start off with? There's a rash uh-huh. um, and uh, joint pain, and then a very high fever. Ugh. Fortunately, I was very young, so the only effect on me has been, I had uh, my teeth are bad because of all the tetracycline that they had to give me to kill it off. Oh. And if they if you give... Big doses of antibiotics to little kids when their permanent teeth come in, they get a little yellow. 
But so it's not all that meth you've been doing. No, fortunately, like I could do meth, and I have like a get out of jail, get out of meth free because like mm, it was just the just the tick, <laughs> just the tick. Is it any kind? I guess it's any tick, right? It doesn't. No, it's uh, there are a couple of kinds of ticks. I know it's there's a a wood tick, and there's like a I think canine ticks can spread it too, but it's not as common. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, they never saw the tick. They never saw the bite mark at all, which is why I think they didn't jump right away to it. But my mom and back then they didn't have um. They didn't, the lab test was, they didn't have like a quick blood culture that they could do. So they had to send it off and, and to wait. I think the deal is that there's some sort of spike in something or other after a few days. But once the, once you know what it is, it's, you know, if you haven't done the test, it's bad. So yeah, and high fever. They were real worried for me for a few days. Uh, prevention is key, kids. Well, just, you know, check for ticks. Yeah, if you're out in tall grass or, you know, perhaps laying down doing your stuff. Or if you are out in the woods, just give yourself a once over. Yeah, my wife comes home. Once or twice a week and says, yeah, I found a dick that I had a dick that I, uh, the yeah. kids, out, well, she takes the kids out in the woods all the time. Oh, so they're not just on her. No, no, no. I mean, on her, but also on the kids. Okay. Because I was going to say, it'd be really weird if they all flocked to Laura and they did not, in fact, attack the children. <laughs> that would indeed be problematic. So, Kate. Yes. Tell us about the Bronx, the beverage. All right. So the Bronx is a gin-based cocktail. Uh, the recipe that we're using is two parts gin, one part orange juice which is preferably fresh squeezed. Ours, however, is not. Uh, and a fourth part of dry vermouth and a fourth part of sweet vermouth. You shake it in a chilled cocktail glass and you strain it in a cocktail strainer into another cold glass. And there you have your Bronx. And you're supposed to also traditionally serve it with an orange slice. A couple of variations on the recipe include the switching arounds of vermouth. So you can just use sweet vermouth and it'll be a Bronx sweet. Or you can just add the dry vermouth and it'll be a Bronx dry. Mm-hmm. Ours are, in fact, Bronx dries because I figured we both like dry martinis. Mm-hmm. And this is essentially a martini made with orange juice. So I figured, I don't know, plus we're not biggest fans of vermouth here. I yeah. That's pretty solid. I told you I was reading an article in I think it was some San Francisco paper or um, maybe New York, but maybe I think it was San Francisco about artisanal vermouth. That there's a bar with, you know, essentially vermouth is just wine, spices, and I think some sort of caramelization. Um, Okay. So I think there's lots of things that you can do with them. You know, people will make any, if there's money in it, you know. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because, well, A, I just thought, it just occurred to me that maybe we should do an all vermouth cocktail show, which would just be us going, yeah, the entire time. (laughs) I think here's what would end up happening is that we would sample these, we'd have five or six uh, highball glasses of unfinished vermouth cocktails and about 15 empty PBR cans. It's <laughs> probably true. All right, so it's actually funny that you mentioned that aside from the vermouth because this is um there's one theory of cocktail history that this is derived from a drink called the Duplex, which was a cocktail made out of sweet vermouth, dry vermouth, and orange bitters, mm-hmm. which sounds like the worst possible cocktail you could ever concoct. <laughs> it um, does also sound like something like very 30s. Yeah. Like, you know, we're breaking up all these old apartment buildings into duplexes. They're all the rage. We'll have the duplex. You know, it's like if, if somebody came up with the condo or we're well, drinking. You know what this cocktail is? It's the mixed use development. <laughs> it's the split level. The duplex is actually around the turn of the century. So mm-hmm. that I I don't know. There's probably some kind of correlation there. So the Bronx was invented by either one of two people. It is a pre-prohibition cocktail. So the history is a little muddled. It was either A... Johnny Solon, a bartender at the Manhattan Hotel, who uh, invented it sometimes sometime between 1899 and 1906. Mm-hmm. The story goes that a lunchtime patron was at the bar and dared him that he could not come up with a new cocktail on the spot. 
And this is what he came up with. Hmm. So there's that story. And then it became Hey, man, can you make a new cocktail? Uh, should I got uh, I got some 409 under the sink <laughs> and I got I got a little uh, bartender's friend and I got some toothpicks. I've got some tomato juice left I over some from tomato the Bloody ju- Mary. Tomato, ju- tomato juice, 409 and a toothpick. Is that is that anything? Look in your look in your ba- bartender's guide. Is that it's nothing? All right, I win the bet. <laughs> and um or the other person who might have been responsible is Joseph Sormani, who is a retired Bronx restaurant owner who happened to be living in Philadelphia at the time. Mhm. And of course, you know, there's various stories to both of them. So um, I think most people tend to go with the bartender at the Manhattan story. Mm-hmm. More than Why? Just because it's closer to the borough of the Bronx? Yeah. And I think he gave more credit to it. I know that Salon, um, Sormani actually was credited as the inventor of the Bronx in his uh, obituary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's one of those things that, like most cocktails, it seems like this is something that would have organically happened anyway. And mm-hmm. maybe... Somebody was bound to mix Formula 409 and tomato juice and a toothpick. Exactly. Um, it was ranked number three of the world's most famous cocktails in 1934, mm-hmm. number one being the Martini and number two being the Manhattan. Wow. So this is one that has really fallen on hard times since then. Yeah. It's not nearly as popular as the Manhattan. Um, it's apparently there. there's a drink for every borough in New York City. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of the Brooklyn, but... The Staten Island. Yeah. Uh, or the, I don't know. Um, and this, at one point in time, this recipe and this drink was so popular that the Waldorf Hotel went through a case of oranges a day due to the wow. demand because you had to freshly squeeze the orange juice. The uh, President Taft. God help you. If you don't use freshly squeezed orange juice. President Taft was also fond of these. Apparently, he liked to order them every once in a while with his morning meal, which caused mm-hmm. a little bit of a stir, you know? I like when we, you know what? I think we need to go back to an age when the, it was okay for adults to be known to be having a cocktail at breakfast or at lunch. Like, can you, no, seriously, can you imagine the brouhaha if it was like, yeah, you know what? Obama has a Tom Collins every day at lunch. People would be very like, look at our lush Fox News would go crazy about it. Well, they'd start thinking that like every decision he made was while he was just sloshing right. around. Which, if scandal is to be believed, that's just happening all the time. So it's actually not named after the borough of the Bronx. But That's what I was going to ask you. So it is not named after the borough of the Bronx. I would, Given that that is the only thing that I know with the name Bronx. Well, a little bit indirectly, I guess it was actually named after the zoo. Ah. Which Solon had apparently been to a couple of days before his encounter with this patron. So that is the Bronx. How's it taste? It tastes like a martini with orange juice in it. Like really? But I think, um, and this just may be my personal preference i think it would uh, with some bubbles it would it would work a lot better i like it i i personally like it a lot um i like it better than i do martinis because it's not just so ginny well i love gin but it's you know like a martini is just it's almost hard to drink and for me it is Mm -hmm. it's like you have to do a straight shot this is something that you can sip on which not a straight shot but yeah you slurp it which lends itself to uh you know lunchtime drinking it's a daytime cocktail definitely yeah so Hey, we're heading up on our one-year anniversary of the show. Are you excited? Oh, my gosh, we are. Yeah. That's a fun thing. They said we couldn't do it, Josh. Who's they? I don't know. I don't think – I think I think for people to have said that we couldn't do it, there had to be people aware that we were attempting to do it. Well, I concede. <laughs> so you get a, that job interview we talked about. They, yep. got, they offered you a job. You're going to have a new job, aren't they you? They did, and I will. Are you going to start drinking from the top shelf? Uh, no. Oh. Beer, maybe. I don't know. I, I have to. It's still so far ahead in the future. I have no idea. 
the mm-hmm. life that I'm about to step into. That's true. Like, I feel like my mind is going to be blown. Maybe we could get, at least get cable. Uh, I don't want to get cable. But yeah. you know what we can do is afford what? fancy artisanal vermouth. I don't. Okay. For our all vermouth cocktail You're buying. Show. <laughs> if you're buying, sure. Hey, you want to do our movies? Yeah, sure. In this case, one movie again this week. Uh, the movie that Kate and I watched this week in our tour of number one forgotten movies. Movies that were number one at some point during our lives, but that might have dropped off the radar a little bit. What did we watch, Kate? We watched 1994's Wolf, starring Jack Nicholson, Michelle Pfeiffer, Christopher Plummer, and James Spader, among mm-hmm. a couple of other bit parts by mm-hmm. um, famous people. Yeah. David I. Pierce, Eileen Atkins, et cetera, et cetera. Ron Rifkin. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely one of those movies I had never heard of before. Really? Because <laughs> no. I was around when this happened. Yeah, it was um, – I think it was regarded as a flop, although it made a fair amount of money at the time. It mm-hmm. definitely made its money back, but that – I, you know, if it was only number one for one week, that might have been why. Like, mm-hmm. everyone wanted to go see it because it, the premise kind of works. So, um, let's see. So, senior publisher William Randall, who is played by – Jack Nicholson. He's not in Mexico. He's not senior publisher. Senior. He is a senior publisher at a book publishing house. I told you I was going to just slide right in. Accidentally, ew. Accidentally runs over a wolf while he's driving at night in Vermont, uh, presumably coming back from a business trip or something. The wolf is apparently dead, and so uh, we're just going to – I'm having trouble. I want to refer to him just as Jack Nicholson throughout the entire cast. And when he starts to move it off the side of the road mm-hmm. – the wolf comes alive and bites him. In sort of creepy uh, process slow-mo shot. There's a lot of weird There's a lot of process slow-mos yeah. in this, yeah. And so uh, Randall's bitten, and mm-hmm. then he goes back to the city. But the wolf gets up and, and then and goes and away. skulks off into the shadows where there are other wolves looking at him Yeah, also. a lot of other wolves. Back in New York City, the publishing house that he works for is in the progress of a merger with mm-hmm. a larger company or a lesser company. Right. So there's a lot of talk around the office about who is going to stay on, who's going to get a promotion, who's going to get fired, who's just going to get sent off somewhere else. And what do people think of him, Jack Nicholson's character? His office staff likes him a lot, Mm -hmm. yeah. um, But I think he's regarded, and several characters mention that he is a a nice guy, kind of a pushover, and that he's too cultured and individualized. I think the the phrase that they use is uh, cultured and individualistic. Something like that. Something like that. that uh, the point is made several times that he's too nice for the business that uh, that they're in. The cutthroat publishing business. That he gets pushed around and, and uh, walked over a lot. Yeah. So, see, Christopher Plummer plays the owner of the company who mm. is hosting a, sh- a soiree at his mansion that night where I think he's going to detail who's staying and who's going. Right. At any rate, he takes Randall, a.k.a. Jack Nicholson, aside and tells him in no uncertain terms that he's going to have to step down as the senior And get sent publisher. to some sort of sinecure in East Europe. And is going to get sent to Eastern Europe, which they never really detail what's going on. They just kind of say, you're going Eastern Europe, and it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, well, no, they said he was going to be head of it, and it's, gonna, it's a booming, because this is 1994, so I guess we don't even have to send someone who knows the language. You know, the language of Eastern European. Yeah. Which they speak over there. It has that crazy alphabet where all the R's are backwards, which we learned about in Red Heat. <laughs> exactly. So Jack Nicholson is smoking a cigar near some horses that are out on the farm at this reception slash party, and they start spooking. They start They start what freaking the out what? when he comes near. And so he kind of – then he has this, like, random chest pain and, like, stumbles off well, through also, a hedge. Also, he's told that his protege, uh, James Spader, is going to be taking over his job. So, yeah, um, he stumbles off through the hedges and sits down. 
Michelle Pfeiffer happens to be hanging out, who plays Christopher Plummer's daughter. She happens to be hanging out behind the hedge. Well, it's like, I think she's at a guest house is what it yeah. said. It's sort of overgrown and spooky and autumnal light there for some reason. Yeah. So he, she talks Jack down, you know, and says, like, it's, it's going to be okay. What are you going to do? And he's like, well, I'm going to take the job in Eastern Europe. He uh, kind of recovers. He goes back in to find his wife. It is then revealed that James Spader's character, who is kind of his protege in the office slash younger version of him, is or has been offered the position that Jack Nicholson's character was just kind of fired out of. And cue a lot of outrage. Jack Nicholson's kind of mad, but in a nice guy way. Well, and Spader says to him, you know, tell me what to do. Tell me what you want me to do. Do you want me to not take the job? Do you want me to? Because I will, I will not take the job if you tell me not to take the job. And Jack Nicholson sort of hems and haws and milk toasts away. Yeah. So after that, um... so after that, he uh, he comes back home and he uh, spends a night and wakes up in the morning and notices that his uh, where he had been bitten by the wolf is sort of the wound is weeping and has a little bit of extra hair growing around it <laughs> right so it looks pretty gross and instead of going to a doctor what he does is he sh- he sh- he cuts the hair right. from around the wound he, he shaves the wound he doesn't put any peroxide well, or anything standard practice it. to shave a wound yeah well. that's when when people get shot I mean, you watch law and order it's standard practice when the paramedics show up before they even get them in the gurney just shave them down <laughs> so um he, he starts to undergo a couple of physical changes after this. Uh, he, well, he does get a rabies shot from his doctor, but that he seems like he's not concerned after that, even though his wound is, like, pussing. Well, the first, and... the first thing that he notices is at work his senses are heightened. Right. So he starts going through some changes where his sense of smell is heightened, his sense of hearing, his sense of his eyesight is just, you know, off the charts. He can smell tequila on one of his coworkers, and then at one point he walks in. They have this sort of very... Converted old warehouse office building where the interior is open and then the offices are all facing the interior. And it's very, it's cool looking. But he can hear all the offices from when he walks out onto the landing. So he starts to hear all of the things that his coworkers are saying. Among among them, the fact that James Spader had been maneuvering for the job and that he's on his way out. Yeah, uh, and, and they show his ears moving in sort of a weird uh, prosthetic. I like it because it was a practical effect that was li- kind of subtle. Uh, you know, they, they had um, – the focus was on his face. And if you didn't really sort of look at his ears, you wouldn't necessarily notice that they were m- doing a lot of movement independently. So I liked that. One of the things that I really liked in this was the Rick, all the Rick Baker Oh, makeup. yeah, Rick Baker's fabulous. Um, well, I mean, especially in this movie because I don't think he – I don't think he overdid it in terms of the – makeup and such but anyhow so he starts to hear and know that things are going on and he also starts to become strangely more assertive of his own privileges exactly so there's a scene where he comes home and his wife is like talking to him over dinner about really boring things and he basically just like like attacks her and like takes off her robe with his teeth and they have crazy sex or whatever at the same time let's let's do it wolfy style what does that even mean Uh, ask jack (laughs) Let's be honest. If there's any human being on this planet, and I'm not talking about his character, who knows what doing it Wolfie style is, (laughs) it's going to be Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. So he uh, continues to strike up a a friendship with Michelle Pfeiffer's character conveniently as Right, in a really sort of forced – like he has no reason ever to come in contact with her except that he keeps going back to Christopher Plummer's estate. Uh, the, the second time he goes back to tell him, I'm not going to take this job in Eastern Europe, 
Yeah. Uh, and he just like, happens to come across Michelle Pfeiffer and sc- scare the horse that she's riding on. Yeah. By dint of his raw lupine sexuality. So within the, the course of the events that then happen, he uh, his wife goes on a business trip. And he happens to come home, and he is cleaning up, and he picks up her robe, and he starts smelling it. And he gets this look of madness on his face. And then he runs throughout the streets of New York City. I actually like this because he was just, like, leaping all over the yeah, place. and like doing some classic, like, stunt double realness. I don't know. It's kind of – it's funny, but at the same time, he ends up at James Spader's apartment, knocks on the door. James Spader comes downstairs in a robe and answers it, and he's like – Hey, Will. What's I don't think up? it's his apartment. I think it was a hotel that they oh. were both at. I'm not sure. Will busts his way in, mm-hmm. opens up the door to James Spader's room or his house. Bounds up is. the stairs, uh, Wolfie style. And his wife is in the lob or the room going, What did he? <gasps> Will. And it turns yes. out that James Spader and Will's wife have been having an affair. Mm hmm. So right. conveniently, that kind of frees him up. So he has taken, well, and, he, and I think the point being, James Spader has aggressively taken everything from him. Yeah. So as the film goes on, he becomes more assertive at work. He's more aggressive. He makes it his kind of personal mission to, like, fuck over James Spader and to keep his job by playing hardball with Christopher Plummer, who's the boss. Right. At the same time, he starts losing uh, track of time. Well, he starts organizing... He has David Hyde Pierce, who's his assistant, and Eileen Atkins, who's his assistant, sort of gather up all their authors for a, some sort of rebellion against the the company. And again, they keep hitting all of this thing, this matter of like, they're going to rebel against you because corporations don't have taste and they trust in me because I'm a guy who has taste and individuality and they don't want a, a soulless corporate machine, blah, blah, bling, blue, blah, blue, blah. Right, so he basically is threatening to take away all of the business and clients with him if he goes. It's kind of explained away by his new wolfish behavior. At the same time, he starts losing his memory and track of time. And did we, did we talk about the deer? Yeah, okay. And wakes up in compromising positions. There's one where he is hanging out at Michelle Pfeiffer's guest house and right. falls asleep. Yeah, I think and this then, was before he hung out, hung out yeah. there, fell asleep, and then has what he thinks, I guess, is a dream. But we see it as a sequence where he sort of becomes semi-lupine and, and bounds after a yeah. deer and his eats it. His eyes turn yellow and he starts growing his like major sideburns. And folks, and if you have ever wanted to see a movie where a 60-odd-year-old Jack Nicholson grabs what is clearly either a deer dummy or a tranquilized deer and sinks, oh, it was his, a dummy. sinks his teeth into its neck, this is the movie you should... By the way, this is directed by Mike Nichols, one of the great uh, comic filmmakers of the second half of the 20th century. So it's not like this is a hack talent movie, but... So he keeps waking up in these weird situations. By the way, we have now moved our way into the incredibly dull and tedious second act of the movie. Yeah. Uh, this movie would have been great if it was like the pilot for a TV show. But anyhow, continue. So he keeps waking up in these weird situations, including like blood on his face beside the stream at Michelle Pfeiffer's place. And, you know, he's forced to kind of explain himself to his uh, his employers and like, you know, his his new relationship with her about why he kind of just left in the middle of the night. You know, he wakes up with the half eaten fingers in his sports coat pocket. And again, and, you know, unless you are buying you know, your unless you're buying your jacket at a thrift store right you don't expect severed fingers now i can't tell you the number of times that severed fingers have appeared in garments that i have bought at thrift stores i mean yeah it's pretty that's pretty standard i mean they have they actually have separate racks these these are the finger jackets because you know fingers in a deck that could come in handy like if you were you know trying to forge someone's fingerprints 
dead guy's fingers. Or if you are trying to get away from a werewolf. Right. Or if you just, you know, if you're just into fingers. Ew. Why is that the one that gets you an ew? Not cannibalism. Severed fingers. Not not forging an identity. Just into into fingers. Into severed fingers. That implies a weird level of sexuality that I'm not comfortable with. Say sexuality. Sexually into into fingers. If I say I'm into stamps, do you think that means I want to fuck stamps? But it would just be into fingers. If if I say I'm into Star Wars collectibles, do you think my cock is buried balls deep in a Boba Fett doll? It might be. I'm willing to assume the worst in everyone. We've known each other for... If I were fucking Boba Fett's, you would know. <laughs> would I? Yes. There's. This is a small apartment. <laughs> and frankly, you know, I am an expressive lover. So you would hear. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Anyhow, continue. Okay, so sorry. So all these weird things start happening. He eventually decides to go to a expert yeah. in the New York City area who has written a, who has the most reputable book there is out there on werewolves and werewolf myths. He sees this guy in his apartment who explains to him that, you know, it's a curse that the wolf is slowly taking over the person, that a person who is bitten by a wolf cannot be made into an evil wolf unless they accept it or if the evil was there to begin with like, in their yeah. own personal self. He sort of blurs the lines. Like, maybe you wouldn't even need to get bitten if you were really a wolf inside. Yeah. And he also gives Jack Nicholson this uh, amulet that will help, you know, keep the wolf at bay. Because by the end of the first month after you get bitten, by the end of the month, you will have turned full into wolf Yeah, this wolf is a little not. bit different. Yeah, this is a little bit different werewolf mythos. Yeah. Is that basically the idea is you get, yeah, you have one month. And over the course of the month, once the full moon happens, you're going to be a wolf. Yeah. Permanently. Or if you're good enough, you can resist it. I'm not right. sure. Or you can just resist it. Right. So he gets the amulet and leaves. He goes about his business. At a certain point, he decides he, he he has moved out into a hotel, by the way, because his wife was cheating on him with James Spader. He is at the hotel lobby. His wife comes in and is like, honey, give me a chance, 16 yeah. and years. And again, this is, we're still in the middle of the incredibly tedious second act. So just, he basically, yeah. It, there it is, is a really lot of people like riding around in cars and talking to each other and for the middle of, like hour of this movie. There's a lot movie. of wolf montages where he suddenly decides he's going to go chase another deer. But or, not even that much, just like people, you know, at night talking to each other or at <laughs> dusk talking to each other. Yeah. So he starts hanging out with Michelle Pfeiffer's character a little bit more. Uh, they, you know, they eat dinner together. He kills a deer in her woods. Mm. Um, she comes to see him at his hotel lobby right when he decides that he needs to handcuff himself to a grate so he won't go out and bite people's fingers off anymore. And all and the time I'm just thinking like that there is good that venison could be for chili. No, seriously, like yeah. he just leaves like this nice buck that he, just, you know, I, I'm assuming he like had a few bites, but. Yeah, he did not, he did not eat it. He know. basically just bit the neck. He didn't even eat it. You know? Yeah. I mean, say what you will, but the Lakota Sioux werewolves use every part of the deer. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer sees it. She follows him up to his room. She comes in. He's like, I. he's handcuffed himself to a, a grate or not a grate, um, a heater. She undoes that for some reason. Even though he's sitting there going, no, you shouldn't do this. I'm sick. I'm sick. So she unhooks him from his handcuffs, then proceeds to handcuff his hands behind his back and starts unbuttoning his shirt. Um, But also kind of. Yeah, it's weird. Although you think we don't actually see uh, sex between uh, Jack Nicholson and Michelle Fiverr, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. They wake up the next morning spooning naked 
And while he's taking a shower, the cops knock on the door and they're like, can we speak to Mr. William Randall? And cops played by uh, Richard Jenkins and yeah, somebody one of, else. One of whom. So he comes out. It's revealed that uh, Jack Nicholson's wife has been found in Central Park with her throat ripped out. And because, you know, he was seen having a public argument with her, he is obviously the first and most prominent suspect. So they start talking to him about that. Michelle Pfeiffer pretends to be his fiance and says they're going to come down to the police station later. At the same time, Jack Nicholson starts freaking out because he's getting worse and, you know. So she drives him to her country estate, puts him in the stables where he can't get out while he's transforming, and she goes to the police station to give her statement because the police quickly work out that she's not Mrs. Smith. She's, in fact, the daughter of his boss. Well, and that she finds something that causes her concern. Uh, oh, she sees the mud on his shoes. Isn't that it? Oh, she, yeah, something, she, finds, she finds something that causes her concern to sort of doubt the, that he was there all night. Yeah, because, you know, she's using him as an – or he's using her as an alibi for why he couldn't have killed his wife. And, you know, it's kind of left uncertain, like, what's going on. Cut to the police station where she's waiting to give her statement – and who's there, Josh? But James Spader. Mr. James And now we begin the third act of the movie, which is the most enjoyable of the three acts of the movie. So, uh, Mostly because it ups its James Spader. Spader quotient by about 400%. <laughs> and yeah. So James Spader uh, is at the police station. She's checking in. He creeps up behind her and is like, oh, hello. Or you must be Laura Alda. Or oh, Alden. you missed the scene where he pissed on Spader's shoes. I did miss that. You're right. Yeah. At one point, they're in the, the, uh, the publishing office and... Uh, Nicholson is telling uh, James Spader that he's not going to go along with the deal. And James Spader's like, first of all, James Spader again does the offer that he did at the party. Like, tell me what you want to do. Tell me what you want to do. I'll do anything. Tell me what you want to do. Do you want me to not take the job? And do you want me to stop fucking your wife? And the funny part was, do you want me to take the job and you want me to leave your wife? And Nicholson says, I want you to not take the job. (laughs) And, And Spader goes, yeah, I can't do that. I don't know why I offered to do that. Which was, it was sort of an illustration of what they had been beating on for the whole time, which is people take advantage of the fact that they know that he's going to roll over right. when he says these things. So at which point, so at which Nicholson. Point, they're at a urinal. They're at like one of these sort of uh, Wrigley Field common urinals where you all piss in a trough. Uh, and he just sort of turns, like does a 90 degree <laughs> right turn while he's talking and just pisses on James Spader's shoes. Who goes... What the hell, man? These are suede. And, and and Jack Nicholson says, I was just marking my territory and you got in the way. <laughs> it also should be mentioned at some point that I forget what I think it's one of the first times he is um, he's after he's been bitten. Jack Nicholson bites James Spader. Oh, right. There was, it was when he went over to the hotel where he and his wife were. Uh, oh. James Spader was trying to grab him on the shoulder and it's in a very obvious process slow-mo. Jack Nicholson, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Turns and bites him on the hand so that you, it's very made very clear. Oh, by the way, Jack Nicholson done bited James Spader. So cut I wonder if that's a plot point. Maybe. So cut to the third act where James Spader is with Michelle Pfeiffer at the police station. And he comes up and he kind of sniffs her and he's like, oh, hello, Laura. Dude, I mean, he my sniffs her Steven. vagina. He like bends down and sniffs her below the I waist. I feel like that's later, though. Uh, is it? I, I don't, think that's I don't, at the barn. Mm, okay, maybe. Well, the point is that he comes over to her... And his eyes have changed to like an full on yellow wolfy eyes. Yellow, and he's like, "Hello, he's like, Laura. How you doing?" He's like, "He's like, hey, I don't think we've ever met, but I would love to get to know you." And she's like, "Okay, that's cool. I, I'm gonna go and sit I over here." I, like, I'm not even gonna try to spader this up because he <laughs> just spaders it so hard that, uh, like, honestly, there's 
almost nothing in this movie except for Jack Nixon peeing on his shoes uh, is worth like telling anybody else about except for this third the act Spader. with James Spader because it is like we have remarked on many like Lincoln I think Lincoln was a completely forgettable movie except, except for, for James, James Spader going James, fucking bad shit James motherfucking Spader <laughs> um, and so he pushes he pushes Michelle Pfeiffer against a wall kind of in like corners and he's like I would love it if you get a drink with me after this and she's like okay cool and then he gets called in to like she's obviously very nervous he's like every horrible pickup artist in a bar like seriously like all of his lines are like you know be aggressive and confident that's what girls like but they're taken to that 115 percent degree such that it's like so she he gets called in to give his testimony to the police about jack nicholson wife's murder michelle pfeiffer decides to take that moment to piece the fuck out of there and drives back to her house to try and she's she's on the phone while she's driving making arrangements for them to fly away together her and jack nicholson not her and james spader and meanwhile james spader is giving his testimony he comes out into the uh, lobby and they're like okay laura alda or alden whatever her last name was you're next and she's not there. So James Spader is like... Just flips out, leaves the police station. Gets in his car. Meanwhile, the cops are convinced that Jack Nicholson has murdered his wife and have issued warrants to find him and are sort of two steps behind everyone else in the movie. And by the time... And, and Michelle Pfeiffer is setting up an airplane, a plane flight right. for her and Jack Nicholson to leave the country. But by this time, he's starting to like change. Like to full on... Yeah, so he's like, you know, in the he's in a stable that he's been locked in. James Spader follows Michelle Pfeiffer to her house and gives one of the best... <laughs> oh my God. Well, first of all, he, I cannot... Right. He talks to the, the security guard and is just like, hey, hey, hey. I mean, and he's like, hello, Mr. I mean, his first name was like Steven. Yeah. I'm here right? to see Laura. Yeah. He's like, I'm here to see Laura. And uh, he's like, Are, is he expecting you? Or is she expecting you, sir? And, and he's like, nope. Nope, she's not. Does she look like the fuck of a century, though? Yeah, he said something like, well, you know, what, and he's, I forget what the. He said, like, just something crazy, like, <laughs> something along the lines of. Does the, she want to see you? And then, like, he goes, yeah. he goes, well, doesn't she, does she look like the fuck of the century or not? And the guy's like, okay, you need you to You are leave. not, and then he kills the security guard. He drives over the security guard, busts his way in, finds Michelle Pfeiffer when she's getting ready to and leave, is and is literally, packed Yeah, literally sniffing around, like. Like, there's a wolf in estrus somewhere grabs, right nearby. He grabs her and pushes her up against the barn door. Jack and just, Nicholson is and right like licking her ear. Yeah, and he, like, sniffs her neck, probably sniffs her badge. I'm not sure. No, he does. At one point, like, he bends down. He's like. <sighs> and he like, he, like, pins her up against the wall. And he's like, he's like, hey, you got away so far. At this point, he, every once in a while, licks her ear like a dog would. And it's just so wonderful. And like, and then, and she's, like, plays along with it a little bit. He plays along with it a little bit. And he t- Totally, the character sees through it, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you think you're you think you're gonna fool me like that? You think you're gonna fool me like that? Starts, how do you, how, how would you like it if I fucked you to death?" Yeah, because <laughs> she's like, "It's a horrible thing so, to say," but the way he says it is just so, like so out of nowhere. He puts her up against the wall, and so she decides to do that thing that movie characters do sometimes, where they decide to play along until they can like knee him in the crotch. And, and if you run can't away. tell by the amount of enthusiasm that both Kate and I have now that we've gotten to this part of the story, it is far and away the best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, so she turns around and she's like, "Oh, I." bet you like it if I fucked you. Oh, you want it rough? You want it rough? And then he sees through her, like right. Josh said. Says something like that. She knees him in the crotch and runs away. Right. Jack Nicholson, by the way, is watching this from afar while wolfing out. Well, he's chained into one of the stables. Yeah, he's watch- He's in one of the, st- one of the he's, stalls. He's like wolfing out. And uh, then James Spader also proceeds to like fully wolf out. Not just eyes, but like the hair and everything. Right. The sort of 
Logan Wolverine sideburns. Yeah, he chases after Michelle Pfeiffer's character, pins her down, and is pretty much going to rape her. It's sort of ambiguous. I think he's either going to kill her or rape her or both. Well, he starts, like, trying to take off her skirt and stuff, and she's freaking out, and she can't get away fast Also, she's wearing a really great pair of black pumps in this scene. Yeah, but not very practical for No, they're not practical, but I just want to mention that they're really nice. They're nice. Jack Nicholson is in his cage. He sees that his lady's in trouble, so what does he do? He takes off the amulet that the guy had given him, and then he transforms forms into full-on Jack Nicholson And then Nicholson he flips wolf. out, and then we have... Uh, and he busts his way out. Wolfie Nicholson and Wolfie Spader fight, uh, fight <laughs> out in a pond out in, front of the, out in front of the stables, and James Spader is killed by the force of Wolf Jack Nicholson's passion. Yeah, so they fight. Uh, James Spader dies. Jack Nicholson is wounded, but he runs off into the woods. And turns into a wolf. And turns into a full-on wolf, so apparently he succumbed to the curse or whatever. Police show up. They get the statement of everybody. Oh, dude, we missed David Schwimmer. David Schwimmer plays a cop in Central Park at one point in, like, one scene. Um, So they get the statement. Uh, Laura, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, kind of, you know, brushes it all off. Um, She's changed. She's gotten dressed and everything. She's giving sort of a cover story. I don't know where he's gone. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I don't know what happened. He came. He he showed up here, and James Spader was crazy. He he killed the guard. Right. All this stuff. And uh, And as she's walking away, she's talking to the cops. And she says something about, like, you know, you might want to. You shouldn't have so many gin and tonic. Have a gin and tonic this late in the day if you got to drive back or something. Yeah, something like that. And then the cops look at each other like, how did she know she was drinking? Because if you'll remember. And she's like, I can smell it all over you. Earlier, Jack Nicholson could smell the tequila on this one random guy in his office. So she walks away. As she walks away, the camera zooms in on her eyes. And you can see that they have become all like amber and wolf-like. So is the implication that she is? So that's the end of the movie. So the implication. This is what I didn't understand. Is the implication that she was always a wolf, or that he wolfed her out? She either got bitten by James Spader. I'm thinking she probably got scratched or bitten see, by James Spader. I thought Jack the, I, the implication was that she was one of the original, the wolf that bit him in the first place. Well, that was up in Vermont, though. I don't know. I don't think so. I think she just kind of got. She's some kind of wolf. Maybe wolf. And like lycanthropy is an STD because she did have sex with Jack Nicholson. That is true. And we can only presume. <laughs> so that's where the movie ends. Honestly, though, and I hate to say this, but uh, if I if I if I fuck Jack Nicholson, like on the tier of STDs, I'm worried about. <laughs> like lycanthropy is still only two or three. Like I'm just saying, the guy has been around. The guy's the guy's got a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> I, I feel I feel reasonably confident. <laughs> Josh, what did you think of this movie? Uh, I mean, it's not a good movie. No. No, I mean, it's not a good movie, but it's, uh, I mean, I think it's sort of an interesting failure. I liked the first, like I said, I I liked, I think if you took the first act and the third act and you merged them together into an hour-long HBO pilot for a series, Mm. this could could kind of be a fun HBO series, story-wise. I thought sort of the director is totally missed match to it. It's not a Mike Nichols picture. It's yeah. not, you know, sort of a drawing room or delicate, wiki bi- wicked biting satire. As much as he tries to throw in that stuff about the publishing industry, it's just like... Or just oh. like about, you know, like a wolf is inside Right. Of you. We're a man, but you know, where is the... you? So that, that was stupid. Uh, the second act drags unconscionably. It's just like so boring. So many people like going around talking... By the way, also, like, almost no location shoots because apparently I think Jack Nicholson probably didn't want to do location shoots because he was a big star. So, like, all this stuff, even when they're outside, is, like, clearly on a soundstage. Like, he's sitting next to a stream, which is very clearly a soundstage, or they're on a even boat the slip. in Central Park. Right. Yeah. Um, so I thought the director was probably a, a 
poor choice for how it ended up the the shape of the movie that it ended up being. Jack Nicholson is a really bad choice for the main character. Oh like, god, yes. Like I can see the pitch meeting where it's like it's Jack and he's a werewolf, okay? Which is not a bad a, pitch, right? Not at all. Like but it the made movie, sense in theory. The premise of the movie is that he's sort of a meek, cultured, mild person who then becomes this monster. And the problem is there's no sort of starkness of that transformation when he starts out as Jack Nicholson. It's like, <laughs> "Oh, okay, he's home. He's a werewolf." Like there's no, you know what I'm saying? Like imagine yeah. if that, imagine if it had been David Hyde Pierce. Yeah, <laughs> okay? that would have been something. Right? I'd or bought. Hugh Grant, or somebody yeah. who was sort of, you know, or the premise being someone who is cultured and urbane turning into a monster, which I think is what would have been interesting. Or yeah. even James Spader in yeah. that role and just because skew everything younger. I will tell you, like, and also one of the problems is that a Michelle Pfeiffer was cast. I could buy her as like a rich girl who wants to rebel. I don't buy her as a guy as a character. Her role was also just pure narrative momentum. Yeah, uh, plot uh, device. They should have cast if they're going to cast Michelle Pfeiffer. They should have cast someone who she had actual sexual chemistry with. Or just merge the Michelle Pfeiffer and the Kate Nelligan role and have James Spider and him be fighting over his wife for the entirety. I of the do movie. think. She doesn't become soiled goods just because she's had sex with the other guy. Well, yeah. I do think that James Spader would have been better in the Jack Nicholson role. And that's not just because I fucking love James Spader. I also think because the one scene in the movie where he is like getting on her in the police station, they have more chemistry in that one freaked out. Crazy chemistry. Crazy like scene than her and Jack Nicholson doing all of their like like, fluff set Totally crazy chemistry. But I'm like, oh my God, I made the worst mistake last night that I totally have to tell you about. And here it is. I met this guy at the police station who I sort of knew from a friend from work. Yeah, it would have been... Like, the sex was crazy, but the next morning he was wearing like, all of his clothes in bed. Right, and he was smelling my lady bits. And like I, I, the night before that was kind of sexy, but then like in the day I just want to go eat. And like you don't want to smell it after he's already been there. And it's like, what? <laughs> so... Um, my grade or conclusion for this movie was that I think the, there was a lot of talent put into this movie, like a yeah. lot of it, but it didn't ever seem to mesh no. together. No. And James Bader was very much the best part of this Easily movie. Easily the best movie. Also, the score was weird. The Ennio Morricone score it was, was like... Ennio Morricone score But it was weird. It had like weird movie. tenor saxes at weird points and yeah. Just, I think it was a, a mess that sort of dragged down in the middle. I liked the first... 15, 20 minutes. I liked the last 20 minutes. God, yes. But the middle of it was just a mess. I will say props to Rick Baker for the, the Yeah, and the effects. werewolf, and yeah. it was a different looking werewolf, and it was a werewolf. The makeup was so gentle that you sort of at some points could still believe that this might have been something that was going on in his head. Yeah. You know, like this was just how he saw himself. So it was, I liked that. And it was yeah. all practical effects because it was 1994 and we were still doing practical effects. So yeah, it's nice. all just like contact lenses and prosthetics and stuff like that, and it's mm-hmm. really good. Hey, you want to go get some more drinks? Sure. All right. Hey, so why are you not more excited about this job? You seem a little still lackluster. I think one, it hasn't really sunk in yet. Mm-hmm. Two, as much as obviously they wanted me because they hired me, I mm-hmm. still have this like crippling fear that I'm going to go in my first day and they're going to fire me because I'm so ridiculously incompetent. So. Yeah, that's not going to happen. First of all, it's a public sector job, so it's the standard is much lower. Still. Yeah. You know, you get health insurance. You get dental insurance. I know. I'm really That'll excited. be nice. Mm-hmm. That'll be nice. You know, when I was at the dentist, they told me I have geographic tongue. What does that mean? It's a real thing. Where you occasionally, it happens to about 3 or 4% of the population, where your tongue starts getting splotches on it that it looks like a map. Splotches, like what are they? Are they like 
it's just a it's a little thing. It's a happens. It's just a way that the epithelium on your tongue sort of peels away. So it's like kind of like getting moles like on your skin. No, it's little or... regions. Look it up. Geographic tongue. It's a real thing. Okay, I will. <laughs> I will do that. Yeah, that's like one of the pluses. You get dental insurance. You it know, we were talking definitely. about we we're talking about uh, we we're talking about a cruise last week. That would be something that you could afford in the future. It's like vacations and stuff. Yeah, yeah, true. Although I have gone horribly into debt going to the Florida Keys and to Ireland. That's true. Just to fucking yeah. do it. You know, I used to think less of cruises. I think I'm coming around on cruises. Have you ever been on a cruise? No. I, I mean, I've been either. on boats. I got seasick on a boat. I, but How? here's the thing. My thing about cruises was that it always seemed to me like basically the next step beyond living in a gated community. It's like <laughs> if a gated community does not keep out the poor people enough, we're going to go afloat. Isolated out to the ocean. Like we are gonna, we're gonna, you're gonna have to swim to rob us to get to our house. Right. Like a gated community, and you know, I'm not gonna. If I were an incredibly racist person, I might buy into the stereotypes that certain ethnic groups tend to swim less than other ethnic groups. Well, Survivor has taught me that that <laughs> may in say. fact not be an urban legend. So, how long when you were when you were um, seasick? Like, how long mm-hmm. were you on the boat? That you well, were this on? was on a ferry. It was on really choppy water oh. down in Mexico. Okay. And it was about a 45-minute-long ferry from Cozumel over to Playa del Carmen, which is on the mainland. Mm-hmm. And it was in the nighttime, which you would think would be better because they say that seasickness and nausea comes from the dissonance between what your eye is seeing when you see the horizon and your vestibular apparatus in your ear from the motion of your body. That makes sense. But that's bullshit because I was, <laughs> I was just completely going to vomit. Well, it seems like, you know, if your body keeps going... And like unfamiliar, you know. But the idea is that if you don't have a horizon line, it's harder for the brain to freak out. It's bullshit, though. It's why people in the city, I think, get so aggro because they got buildings in around them all the time and they can't see the horizon and they don't get perspective on shit. But they can still see, like, a million years ago or something, we're out eating nuts out on the savannah mm-hmm. and you got nothing but unbroken horizons so you can see tigers and shit coming for you. Tigers, first of all, do not live in the African savannah. I meant lions. Second and you of all. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not a scientist mm-hmm. either, but I feel like, evolutionarily speaking, you would become accustomed to buildings and... How horny do you have to get oh a lion in order for him to make a liger without, like, any scientific assistance? I like, have no just idea. so horny that he fucks a tiger. I have no idea. I don't think that um, most animals are very discerning to, be- to begin with. Right, but I think they tend to keep it in their own species. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not sure how that happened. I'd have to look at it, like, on you know, Wikipedia or something. But, like, like mules. Like, how fucking horny do you have to get a horse such that it fucks a donkey? Um, well, as a... Like, just all day... As a day, registered like, mule you just, pen, you just pen it into that stall, like, 24 hours a day, nothing but, like, donkey well, porn. Yeah. All, like, on the <laughs> monitors. And just like, he's getting so backed up. And then you open that door, and he's like, let me add a donkey. Wait, is that is that donkey porn? Like, humans with donkeys? No. What, or is what it, like, sick, two donkeys going at What kind of sick horse it? wants to see humans fuck? I don't know. No, humans <laughs> fucking donkeys. That's disgusting. It's just, I don't know. I'm guessing that because you? they're so similar in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, like a donkey and a horse are very similar animals. Eh. And then, you know, like a tiger. And I've a never lion. once wanted to fuck a chimp chick. I don't know, Josh. I'm going to have to look it up and get back to you. I don't know how horny. I don't know how you would make a cat horny other than just letting its natural body process. Eh. There's a reason that like Maggie and Cat on Hot Tin Roof is called the cat because she's right. that, you know, like. Just presenting. 
cat in heat. Like that's a metaphor. Have you ever had your cats in heat? I've had a dog in heat. I, oh, I've never had. I, I can't. I don't know which is worse. Dogs and ha- dogs in heat have more blood. Mm-hmm. She did. Yeah. There's a lot of like scraping of the ass. The big like really, you know, it is. Uh, you don't have to be a boy dog to know that there is a uh, business to be conducted. Mm-hmm. I've never had to deal with a cat in heat. Yeah. It's physically, it's a little more subtle, like in terms of looking at it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just saying. Like, it's, more, it's much more behavioral. Well, when my cats. dog went into heat, um, we were going to get her spayed soon. And then she actually went into heat right before we were going to mm-hmm. get her spayed. And so all I noticed was one day she was sitting down on the carpet and then she got up to walk away and to like scratch at the door. Mm-hmm. And there was blood on the carpet. Yeah, that's what it was with Wheezy when she was so in heat. I was, you know, I was really concerned. And then I asked my mom and she's like, oh, no, she's just in heat. And it was really awkward. Yeah, anyway. Wheezy would just come sit in my lap. And then it was like, oh, there's a little like Vaseline. It was just like it was really cute. It was like a little uh, like, like a racer head. Blood like, no, bigger. Or... no, no, it was just Vaseline. It was just like she's all lubed up for business. Cat lube. Right. And it was just like about the size of, of a pencil eraser. <laughs> Oh, gone wheezy. It was Rest sweet. Her soul. Yeah, and then it was constantly. It was this like all day for three days. <laughs> all night, all day for like. Not three to days. bring this up one once again on the podcast, but that sounds disturbingly like the score for Plume of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So as. Is usually the case, we have no letters to the editor again this week, Kate. I would like to encourage people to get in contact with us. We are on Twitter at, at @pntcast. You can get our email. It's pntcast at gmail.com. On the web, we are pntcast.wordpress.com. <clears throat> on Tumblr, we're pntcast.tumblr.com. And if you search for us on Facebook, we are prefer not to. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can visit us there and give us reviews. We really love to see those reviews. It's some of the only interaction we have with folks, so, you know. Or humans in general. Seriously. Have I told you how I, like, just have lapsed into agoraphobia and I didn't – it was very gradual and I hadn't even noticed? We have discussed it. I don't think we talked about it on the show. Yeah. I need to, like, it, I need to sort of ramp up my exposure therapy to Earth. Anyhow, we don't have any letters to the editor this week, so as is our custom, I will read a letter from someone else, somewhere else on this fair planet, to some publication or other. Uh, this week it's a letter to the Twin Falls Times News in Twin Falls, Idaho. And it's about the changing of the name of a visitor center in the town of Twin Falls from one of this fellow's relatives to the Twin Falls Visitor Center. All right. All right. Let's hear it. It's disheartening for a family of one who has formerly been honored as a community leader to realize that time has gone on and that honor is no longer appropriate. Years ago, area leaders coined the term Magic Valley, and it's been used almost exclusively since then to refer to South Central Idaho. Unfortunately, no maps show where Magic Valley is in Idaho or where it begins or ends. Folks in New Jersey who hear of Magic Valley don't know if it's near Rexburg, Coeur d'Alene, or Boise. Twin Falls, Buell, and Jerome thus lose out on the attention they rightfully should have. As time goes by, fewer and fewer people know or care who Vera C. O'Leary, Eldon Evans, Robert Stewart, Rick Allen, Doc Taylor, Jerry Meyerhofer, Buzz Langdon, and other former community leaders are or were. The Buzz Langdon Visitor Center means nothing outside of Twin Falls. The Twin Falls Visitor Center establishes a place for folks worldwide to know of. We need to give public facilities names that are meaningful not only to the present, but to the future, and names that establish where and what they represent. And that's from Tom Griggs 
of Twin Falls. So Magic Falls is like the name of the Magic town? Valley. Magic Valley. I think it's a uh, a marketing term for the region of Idaho, South right. Central, in which Twin Falls is. So the Visitor Center was recently renamed. Renamed the Twin Falls Visitor Center as opposed to the Buzz Langdon Visitor Center. And he's related to Buzz Langdon. I think he may be. Okay. It seems weird that you would rename something. You know what I mean? If you, if you went out of your way to name it like the, you know, the Thomas Jefferson Memorial Library, whatever, mm-hmm. like that you would f- suddenly change it to the... Person, it seems weird to me. I think, like, you know, even in a couple of generations, like the community center that I did Girl Scats at. The, Girl the, Scats? The, really? You're into Girl Scat? The and you dare pass judgment on the lion that wants to have a loving adult relationship with a tiger? I never or a said horse that. that wants you're to the one that passed share judgment his love with that no, donkey? You're the one that passed Girl judgment Scat? on them. You pass judgment, and you're like, how horny would a lion have to be to fuck a tiger? I'm like, maybe he's just feeling it, you know? Maybe stripes are his thing. Got any recommendations this week? Um, I guess I do, but you know, it's it, no. You you go first. If you okay, I was just going to recommend last week tonight John Oliver's new show on HBO, eleven o'clock on Sunday nights. I think it started out and everybody was worried it was going to be a sort of Daily Show clone, but once a week. But I think in the past few weeks he's really knocked it out of the park in terms of a doing things that you can only do on HBO, and b uh, just sort of really passionate. Uh, hard-hitting, really heartfelt, but funny uh, bits on issues of the day. So that's Last Week Tonight. If you have HBO or HBO Go or can swipe someone's HBO Go login, I recommend it. Okay, go for it, Kate. Um, Since we're talking about monster movies this week, I wanted to go ahead and recommend one of my favorite movies, which I realize is completely ridiculous. It is The Mummy from 1998, starring Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, Arnold Vosloo, and a couple others. It is a kind of tongue-in-cheek revisiting of, like, the classic MGM MGM horror movies, like in The Mummy, Dracula, Frankenstein, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's a modern take on it. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's really funny. The effects are dated now, but it's still kind of chilling and but if you're picking a movie, creepy. But if you're picking a movie with dated effects that you want to watch over and over again from 1998, this certainly is better than watching one of the Star Wars prequels all over exactly. again. I mean, like, this is one that you can tell what's going on and that it's obviously kind of... I agree. This is yeah. a loving homage. It's fun. Uh, the, the pacing doesn't flag. It's no. a fun movie. Yeah. For those of you, for those eight of you who either haven't seen it or haven't watched it in the last 10 years, I agree. Wasn't Mad Men great this week? It was really good. Yeah. I really liked it. It really was good. I think uh, I think the angle with Peggy and Don is going places that we didn't sort of think it was going to go. Yeah. Not that they're going to have like a thing, but I really hope they don't. No, I think they're just sort of going to come to a level where their friendship is mature and has reached a sort of non-volatile trusting state, yeah. you know? Yeah. Where they're sort of equals for the first time ever, maybe. Yeah. And that'll be fun. Hey, so how did you enjoy the Bronx? It's good. It's good. I I um I do like it. I do like the orange juice. It's a nice balance to the gin. Mm-hmm. Gin and citrus. You know, never gonna go, go wrong. wrong. Can't go yeah. wrong. So for Kate, I am Josh. For Josh, I guess I'm Kate. As always, we're really happy you chose to spend some time with us this we week, are. and we hope that you do it again sometime. We really are, and thank you for listening. You never know until you need to know. You know. Thank you.